0: Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president wanted to pledge so Americans a... worshiping government over God. An extremely next... rare safety move by a nation 17 years of Palestinians and Israelis negotiating.
1: Friends, welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. a very happy Tuesday to you. Let me start, as we've done so often since October 7th, by turning to my friends at CBN News and getting an update on what's been happening in the ongoing war against Israel. Here is Chris Mitchell for CBN News filing his latest report.
2: The Pentagon identified the three U.S. soldiers killed in Sunday's attack. The mother of specialist Kennedy Sanders spoke of her 24-year-old daughter.
3: Kennedy was very um, outgoing, she was very athletic, very competitive, so all of these different things that she had plans for that, you know, just cut short in the blink of an eye. So, you know, I just feel like somebody like her that's so full of life, it's just unfair that she'll never get to realize those dreams that she had.
2: The Iranian-backed Islamic resistance in Iraq claim responsibility, but Iran has denied any link to the drone strike that also wounded more than 30 U.S. soldiers. The attack drone reportedly slipped through U.S. defenses because it was confused with a U.S. drone returning to base. National Security Spokesman John Kirby promised a
1: response. We do not seek another war. We do not seek to escalate. But we will absolutely do what is required to protect ourselves, to continue that mission, and to respond appropriately to these attacks. Kirby
2: said President Biden as commander-in-chief will respond in a time and manner of his choosing.
1: We'll also do it fully cognizant of the fact that these groups backed by Tehran have just taken the lives of American troops. And I think I'll leave it there.
2: Some Middle East analysts say U.S. enemies in the region are sensing weakness. When they hear proportionality, reasonable, moderate, we don't want a regional war, that sounds so good in Davos. But our our adversaries hear that as weakness and a green light for aggression. Bowman says Iran's goal is clear. The goal of the Islamic Republic of Iran here, if we're just being direct and blunt, is to kick American forces out of the region so it can more effectively control and undermine its neighbors and advance its radical ideology. Meanwhile, the UN says it's taking swift action following the allegations UNRWA staff members took part in the October 7th massacres. The Wall Street Journal reporting that 10% of UNRWA's workforce are linked to terror groups in Gaza, while at least a dozen participated in the attacks, including kidnapping and tracked to the sites where scores of Israelis were murdered. Most of them also served as teachers in UNRWA schools. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken addressed the UNRWA scandal. It is imperative that UNRWA immediately Uh, As it said, it would uh, investigate, um, that it hold people accountable uh, as necessary, and that it review its uh, procedures. Adi Schwartz, co-author of The War of Return, says he believes the current investigation may be the same as many before.
0: Yes, there are a few uh, bad apples. We will get rid of them. But please give us back the money and we can all go back to normal. I think this would be a terrible mistake.
2: On Monday, Hamas rejected a proposal for the release of the hostages. In a statement, it said Israel must cease its aggression and withdraw from Gaza before any exchange transaction takes place. Chris Mitchell, CBN News, Jerusalem.
1: And so it goes and continues. Pray for those in authority. There will be a response on the part of the United States. There necessarily must be. This is when we petition for wisdom for those in authority. Second of all, understand Hamas again rejects this opportunity to be able to uh, set the people free in Gaza in order for there to be peace. Both parties must want it as long as Hamas believes from the river to the sea. There will never be peace in that part of the land. Pray, pray. The only thing that will bring peace to the Middle East is the Prince of Peace himself. I turn now to a report being filed by Israeli media, the story of the fact that IDF officers put on some costumes looking like women and medical workers and were able to eliminate three Palestinian militants. Have a listen.
0: Janine's Ibn Sina Hospital early Tuesday morning. In a scene resembling the action show Fauda, undercover Israeli special forces stormed the medical center in the West Bank, killing three local terror suspects, one of whom was being treated at the hospital. Special forces, wearing various civilian clothing and dressed as medical personnel, assaulted the medical staff, who are all fine, and then targeted a room in which the patient and his two companions were and killed them. The targets were Muhammad Jalameh, a Hamas field commander in Janine with ties to Hamas abroad, and brothers Muhammad and Basil Al-Ghazawi of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. The IDF Shin Bet and police said the three were planning imminent terror attacks, including a terror attack resembling the October 7th massacre. Basil Al-Ghazawi was being treated for wounds sustained in an Israeli airstrike back in October. The other two were seeking refuge with him. Once inside the hospital, the Israeli forces headed to a hiding room in the third floor where they surprised the three and shot them dead with guns equipped with silencers. Within 10 minutes, the forces were already gone. The Palestinian health ministry called on the international community to provide protection for Palestinian hospitals despite their use by terrorists seeking refuge. This is a dangerous precedent. There was never an assassination inside a hospital. There were arrests and raids, but not an assassination. Hamas described the elimination of the three as, quote, a vile crime that will not go unanswered. With the idea focusing on Gaza and Israel's border with Lebanon, Tuesday's operation serves as a reminder that the West Bank is also simmering and potentially a spark away from completely boiling over
1: have to tell you how brilliant the IDF was. Notice they had pinpoint specificity. They took out three major terrorists in a hospital. By the way, for Hamas to talk about, this is unprecedented. They failed to recognize their destruction of their own hospital. Remember when it was false reported that the IDF took out a hospital in Gaza? In fact, it was Hamas. Right. Pinpoint specificity came in did what they needed to do, eliminated the terrorists, and got out. Remember, two requirements on the part of Israel. Number one, Hamas is rooted out completely and totally. Number two, that the hostages are returned. Two things, and until that happens, this ongoing war will not end. When we come back, we're going to take a look at one of the patriarchs of our faith. The truths of the Christian faith are powerfully clear and wonderfully deep, but sometimes we don't fully understand what we believe. That's why I've chosen I Believe, a concise guide to the essentials of the Christian faith, as this month's truth tool. Know the foundations of faith and reinvigorate your walk with Jesus. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877 Janet 58, that's 877 Janet 58, or go to In the Market with Janet Partial.org.
3: Abraham, man of faith, was born in the city of Ur in Chaldea, eight generations after the great flood. His father was Terah, a descendant of Shem, Noah's son. But unlike Noah, Terah worshipped idols instead of the true God. In the course of time, Abraham's people moved northward to Haran in Mesopotamia, where they lived for many years. Here Terah died, and here the voice of God came to Abraham with both a command and a promise. Abraham,
4: leave your country and your
3: relatives and your father's home and go to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and give you a great name so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and will curse anyone who curses you. And through you, all people on earth will be blessed. Abraham was 75 years old. It would be a hardship for him to leave his home and venture forth into a new and strange land. But Abraham had such complete faith in God's promise that he was willing to go wherever God might lead him.
1: And that would make him one no man who was about to begin an amazing journey of faith. You know, we sing the song about Father Abraham, who had many sons, and very often because we think we know the stories, we fail to plumb the depths of God's Word. Well, there's a new book out that will cause you to do just that as we discover who Father Abraham was and how much, in the process of discovering who he was, we can rediscover again how much God loves us. There are some people out there that when they write, they just resonate with your heart. Yes, their message goes through the eyes, through the mind, but eventually lands in the chambers of the heart where it tends to stay for a long period of time, such is the writing of Chex If he writes it, I will read it, period. If he wrote a cookbook, I'd probably read it because I'd find something edifying in the midst of those pages as well. But he's got a new book out about Abraham. I poured over the book, I dog-eared, I underlined it. I stopped on many occasions and realized how many presuppositions I had that were not borne out in Scripture. And I also realized how much I thank my Heavenly Father for the way in which he gives us the biographies of these people. They're not plastic figures purchased at your local Christian bookstore. they real people with flaws. They make mistakes, they stumble, they falter. So if he can use an Abraham, can he use you? We're going to talk with Chuck Swindoll, who has just loved the Word of God for so much of his life and is such a marvelous pastor. He has led congregations in Texas and Massachusetts and California, and since 1998, he has served as the founder and senior pastor of Stonebriar Community Church in Frisco, Texas. He is a marvelous author, and I'll bet like so many of you Insight for Living is a part of your regular Christian radio listening experience because Chuck does such a marvelous job of just opening the Word and teaching it with clarity and application. Chuck, what an honor to have you with us. So many things you could be doing with your time. It's an irreplaceable 45 minutes, and you're giving it to us, and I thank you so for that.
5: (laughs) Oh, you're welcome, Janet. I'm always glad to be with you. Thank you. Very nice words. And you'll be glad to know I've not written a cookbook. (laughs) (laughs)
4: You really don't want to
5: read a cookbook (laughs) if I've written it. That was a great line, by the way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do have to ask you, as I poured over this book, because you've been teaching the Word for so long, I know that there are a whole lot of folks listening, and they are, from Guam literally to the Cayman Islands, who I know love the Ministry of Insight for Living. And I think among us, we probably look at somebody like you and think, man, there's nothing new. Chuck knows this stuff inside out and upside down. And, you know, at some point he probably yawns and goes, yes, I know, I've already figured this out. And yet, to sit and write a book is not unlike a pregnancy. It's about nine months long, and then there's a labor and delivery, and it can be rough sometimes. <laughs> As you were putting together this book, what surprised you? Because God's Word is vibrant. What surprised you about the life of Abraham that perhaps you hadn't resonated or recognized before?
5: Well, I don't know that it was a brand-new thought, but it really was driven home that God doesn't care what age we are. You know, hmm. we, we make so much of age— and uh, it, it becomes such a big deal. In fact, we we let it hold us back when we reach a certain age. But when you stop to think that the man was 75 before we ever focus on his life and what followed, we really don't know what life was like in specific detail before he was that age. I mean, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then from that time on... Look at the things God did through him and in him. So that stood out. I think also was that we're never too old to fall. (laughs) And so in light of that, uh, it really does keep you on your toes, knowing that we don't reach an age where we're now shielded from the stuff that was a problem when we were in our 30s or 40s.
1: You know, I'm glad that you said that because, you know, I came to know the Lord when I was little, and I used to think that just not unlike my education, I'd graduate, I'd get my diploma, and then I'd be done. But we're yep, never really out in of God's way. classroom. Right. Yep. <laughs> right. It doesn't happen that way. We are His students, no, His people. No, it
5: really doesn't. And, and the wonderful thing is that these great qualities we find in this man's life uh, didn't go away even though he had fallen and failed on more than one occasion. And, and listened to the wrong counsel and, uh, uh, you know, dealt with Lot in all of his needs. This nephew that couldn't, you know, he couldn't think of anybody but himself and continue to operate so selfishly. And Abraham remained so great-hearted and so kind and, and, and generous with him I just was impressed that Abram didn't get bitter as he got older. If anything, he became even more generous and uh, was a man willing to forgive and to move on. So many get hung up because people do us wrong. I've said for years, we all have at least one thing in common. We have somebody we can blame for something. (laughs) We all have somebody who did us wrong. But If you want to focus on that, well, you can. But if you do, you won't ever understand Abraham because he refused to let that happen.
1: Wow. Chuck Swindoll is with us. He's written a brand new book. This one's called Abraham, One Nomad's Amazing Journey of Faith. We get to have Chuck Swindoll for the rest of the hour, and we've got so much more to discover about the life of Abraham. We'll take a break, and we'll pick it up right here, right after this.
3: In unto the there was division between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle.
4: Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between thee and me, and between thy herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are brethren. Our substance is too great for us to dwell together, the land is not able to bear us that we may dwell together is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou will take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou depart to the right hand, I will go to the left.
3: There below us is all the plain of Jordan, and that way I will go, that way toward the cities of the plain.
4: The men of the cities are wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. From here the walls of Sodom and Gomorrah are white in the sun. But within the walls is the darkness of men.
3: The tribes and their kings are many who go about to claim their domination. And the walls of the city are refuge and a strength.
4: God is my refuge and strength.
3: The plain is well watered everywhere Fertile and rich with the fruits of the earth even as the garden of the Lord That is
4: the way that I shall take And my way is another
1: So who chose the right way, Lot, or Abraham? By the way, doesn't George C. Scott make a great Abraham? Chuck Swindoll is with us, and the reason you heard that is because Chuck has a brand new book out about Abraham, One Nomad's Amazing Journey of Faith. And Chuck, I do want to get to that split between Uncle Abraham and his nephew Lot, but I want to go back to the middle of chapter 11 of Genesis, where Abraham just seems to pop out of nowhere. And this was one of my presuppositions that you rearranged, and I thank you for that. Why I get this idea that you know, of course, he'd been walking and communing with God, and yet his background says, mm, probably not the case. So, then what does that tell me about the character of Abraham that God, the one true living God, reveals himself to him, tells him, Here, I want you to get up and leave your father's house and go, and doesn't give him a PowerPoint or a map or a, uh, a, a syllabus that this is what's going to happen for the next few years? He just says, Get up, go, and Abraham goes. That speaks volumes about the man it seems to me
5: yeah isn't it amazing? Um, many folks don 't realize that uh, we have every reason to believe not only was his father Tira a uh, an idolater, no doubt Abraham was mm. in those early years, growing up under that influence Ur, one of the one of the uh, nerve centers of idolatry of that era uh, and that's where he grew up that's all he knew. Somehow and in some way, God reached him and God changed him. Uh, that gives me hope, quite honestly. Uh, I, I don't think Abraham was, uh, or Abram as he was earlier known, was, was seeking after God or was in some secret way walking with him. I think the Lord grabbed his attention, pulled him out of the ranks of humanity revealed himself to him in ways that are not revealed in Scripture. And Abram trusted God. And, and indeed, he trusted him, which is proven the very first way he obeyed. He went out, Hebrews 11 says, he obeyed not knowing where he was going. <laughs> and you were right. No map, no GPS, <laughs> no, no, no game plan, no stated destination. In fact, he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, we read. Sounds beautiful. can almost make a song out of it. But put yourself in his shoes. I mean, he, he, he brings with him his wife, and, and, and she's also willing to go, which says a lot. By the way, she's 65. The man is 75. He brings Lot with him, who is no great catch. And the nephew whose dad had died comes along with his uncle, and and they travel together, not knowing where they are going. But along the way, there had to have been times when Abram was reassured, you are on the right road.
1: Mm. Mm. And I think
5: because we follow by faith, God graciously reassures us in quiet ways. I'm not trying to be mystical, but realistic god reassures us in saying i'm here i know you're there you may not know where you're going i know the end from the beginning you mm. trust me
1: mm. yes wow and
5: that's the story that's the story Janet of every great ministry when it's yes. begun mm. you didn't know where <laughs> you were going when you oh, began no. in the market I didn't know where we were going at Insight for Living. I'd never had one minute's training in any kind of media ministry. In fact, I went into it like C.S. Lewis came into the kingdom, kicking and screaming. <laughs> I mean, I said to Al Sanders, if you want to do this, great, Al. Have at it. But don't, please, I've got my hands full. And, and, and we moved out. Just a few little stations and we were on our way. We went out not knowing where we were going just like you did.
1: Yes, oh, but where God has taken you. Insight for Living Now is heard in all 50 states, friends, and more than 2,100 outlets worldwide where the broadcasts go out in multiple foreign language. Walking by faith and not by sight, most amazing adventure any of us will ever be on. More with Chuck Swindoll right after this.
3: shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which is come unto me and if not I will know.
4: Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? For adventure there be 50 righteous within the city, wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right?
3: If I find 50 righteous within the city, I will spare all the place for their sakes.
4: What if there be 45 such men? Or 30, or even as few as 20?
3: I will not destroy it for
4: 20's sake. Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once, for adventure 10.
3: I will not destroy it for ten sake
1: Well, this is all part of the story of Abraham, is it not? One Nomad's Amazing Journey of Faith, one of the new books by Chuck Swindoll. Do you know he's written over 70, which is amazing when you think about it. He served as Dallas Theological Seminary's fourth president for seven years, and then he became the chancellor of DTS in 2001. Chuck, there's so many things. Let me just do a quick crash course on the distinctive natures between Lot and Abraham, because here's Lot, the nephew, and he really makes the kind of greedier choice. But in the mm-hmm. end, this really comes back to haunt him because he steps into the city. And I loved the way that you write about the fact that he had this idea that, yeah, I know there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the city, but, you know, I'll, I'll bring a real positive influence. And then you also say that there are certain passages that you would like to avoid when you teach, and one of them happens to be Genesis 19. And I loved what you said, that you cannot point to a single City in, uh, sin in this city, but in fact, it was a composite of sins. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I asked in those questions there, but would you talk first about the nature of Lot, his making that choice that took him to that city, and why a fellow like that would have stayed in such a reprobate place?
5: Uh, isn't that a great question? Uh, we don't have that revealed in Scripture. I think Lot is constantly driven by the flesh. Mm. I mean, there's no doubt that it was the fertile valley, there's no doubt that he could make a great living. And I'm sure he rationalized in his mind, uh, well, uh, I can still maintain uh, who I am, because Lot is called righteous in the New Testament, and he was in his deep, deep within. But his uh, desires were not righteous. His motives certainly were not righteous. And so driven by greed, I'm sure, and selfishness, he was able to block out of his mind the overarching uh, influences that that city would have on him, and of course on his family. Uh, he pressed right on. Isn't it amazing that Abraham didn't say to him, "No, no, no, wait, wait, Lot, stop and think about this." <laughs> he let Lot choose. He let him choose, which one of the characteristics of how mature abram was he didn't try to live lot's life he didn't dictate didn't tell him ahead of time all the things that he would encounter though i have a feeling in their quiet moments they would discuss those things but that didn't mean a lot to lot because he was determined to um uh, lie in his pockets uh make a make a, a killing and uh And he'd be able to live through and above all the drag of of those cities. And he pressed on believing that. That's what rationalization, by the way, will do.
1: Hmm. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because whatever the sins were, you point out that sexual immorality was clearly one of the sins, but so was being inhospitable. So it was a composite of sins. What I can't figure out, and what a blessing it is to be able to ask you, is that obviously— there, these men were going after these angels who had come into the city. They wanted to know them, and we know what that means in the biblical sense. Yes. And then Lot yes. goes, "No, but I'll give you my virgin daughters." What kind of a Is dad that makes that kind of a deal?
5: Is that amazing? <laughs> you, you know, uh, I've got I've got friends, and and you do too. And nobody's around. We talk about what we wouldn't mention from the pulpit, but. Uh, he called them virgin daughters. Well, the way they acted a little later when they were in the cave with their dad,
1: mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. sure
5: knew a whole lot about sex
1: mm-hmm.
5: that, uh, had not been rehearsed if they were virgins. I wonder if Abram, uh, if a lot didn't simply lie by calling them that. And by the way, that wasn't even appealing to the man who wanted those, those, uh, angels that appeared as men. Uh, and and so th- there is a real tangle of uh of life and lifestyle that's mixed into that quick conversation. But what do you think of a dad who will bargain with these people banging on his door saying, Look, you want you, you want somebody to have sex with? Here are my daughters. I mean, one of the basic responsibilities of a father is is to protect his family, is to shield them from the raw edges of life. And there wasn't a bit of that in Lot. Not a bit.
1: Yes, He's quite a
5: study. My -hmm. sister sits in our congregation, and and, uh, Lucy, many people know Lucy from her Mm -hmm. years with uh, women of faith, and she said to me over lunch one day, I'm really getting sick a lot I'll be glad when you get past Lot. He drives me up a wall. (laughs) You know, he does. He does. You wonder how a man who is a father could do that. But the thing I love about the Bible, and you do too, is that it doesn't hide from us the, the whole story of a person. It doesn't paint Lot in a little better light. You see him for what he was. You, in fact, see Abram. For what he was. And, and that's the one great thing about biography. If you wonder if God could use human people, <laughs> or if he just uses great spiritual giants. By the way, I've never met one. But if we think that there are spiritual giants, study a life like Abraham. Or how about Elijah? You know? Or how about David? Or, or how about Moses? I mean, you name How about Peter? How about Paul? You mm-hmm. name all of them, and they are—they are set forth in Scripture in raw reality. Yes. Which I yes. think really, really speaks well of the whole doctrine of inspiration—that God tells the truth when He writes His Word.
1: Hmm. Mm, what a great way to look at that. And the second takeaway on that is God can use anyone who says. Yes, Lord. I don't have to be perfect to say that. I just want to make myself available. You know, let me just pull over to the roadside one minute and talk about greatness, because you do in the book, and you talk about what really constitutes the attributes of greatness, but you say that the most important attribute of all is humility. Why is that?
5: Yes. Yes. Well, it's the the fairest flower that grows. Mm. You know, once you talk about it and promote it, the flower wilts. You heard about the guy that wrote the book on how I became the most humble man in the world with 12 life-size pictures? <laughs> that, that's an example of the irony of it. When you really are great, it's not that you are kicking your toes in the sand saying, oh, shucks, I'm nothing. It's, you just don't spend any time thinking about yourself. You don't do for others what is going to benefit you. You don't look out for yourself. And it's a big part of integrity. I think true humility, authentic humility, is, is a, uh, not just unselfishness, but it's, it's living a life beyond concern over self. I mean, Christ only describes himself once. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, there it is, meek and lowly of heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Jesus said of himself, I'm meek and I'm lowly in heart. I'm humble. And meekness is not weakness. Mm. The Greek word means strength under control. I think of a horse that's been broken, still strong, still muscular, but under control. Meek in the sense that the horse is not taking advantage of the rider but has been broken so that he cooperates with the one who rides him. And I think I think Abraham is this magnificent example of a man who did not do what he did for himself. He could have stayed in Ur, but he left because God said leave. He could have chosen the better part of the land, but he gave it to Lot because he didn't care about, you know, uh, feathering his own nest. Uh, he could have uh, resisted the Lord when the Lord said, I want you to sacrifice your son, because he loved Isaac. But he was willing to do the Father's
1: will. True humility. Yeah. Wow. True greatness. When we come back, I want to talk about that ultimate test. And by the way, friends, even with the irreplaceable gift of Chuck Swindoll's time, you know there's so much more in his book than we're able to cover here. So let me just draw you to our website, In the Market with JanetParshall.org. There on the right-hand side is the book, Abraham, One Nomad's Amazing Journey of Faith. And a link also to the website for Insight for Living. Tons of stuff there. So when we come back, think about this. His one and only son, his precious son. And what does God ask of Father Abraham? What would you have done more after this? Father,
0: we have the firewood, but where's the lamb?
4: to sacrifice my son. Did Abraham take a lamb? No, mistress.
1: Bring the wood. Father? What are you doing?
4: hurting me father Isaac you must
2: trust in God please
1: Mm. Oh, what a test. What a test. When you read that passage in Scripture, if that doesn't put a lump in your throat, you're half asleep, I think, when you're reading it. But you know what's amazing is that you realize that God didn't start out Abraham's amazing journey of faith with this test. And it says something to me about how God grows us through his refinement so that we can go deeper. And if the tests get stronger, we've developed some more spiritual muscles, so perhaps we're able to persevere, because we've grown to trust to really take God at His word. Abraham, One Nomad's Amazing Journey of Faith, a new book by Chuck Swindoll. Chuck, so many questions. Uh, it, I just I cannot begin to comprehend, but I really want to get your take on this. I've heard so many people talk about Well, Abraham walked up with confidence because he knew that God would stay his hand. Nothing in Scripture tells me that he knew how this would end. I can fly through Genesis 22 and know how it ends, but he had to walk through Genesis 22. Do you think that Abraham, he knew that he could trust God, he knew that he loved God, but did he know or have any sense of how this would end?
5: Well, that's a great question. Uh, First of all, I don't think there was small talk on the way up the mountain. Mm -hmm. I think there was silence. And uh, I I believe Abram had every reason to think he would be taking the life of his son. Because God told him to do that. And Mm -hmm. he had the knife. However, the answer to your question isn't in Genesis. It's in Hebrews 11,
1: Mm.
5: where it says, It was by faith Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, Abraham reasoned, now listen to this, that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So it reads in the New Living Translation. The reason I believe he could take him and strap him to the altar and prepare everything for the sacrifice is that earlier when he told his servants about their going, he said, I and the lad will go and we will uh, make this sacrifice and we will return. All three are first person plural verbs. We will go, we will be involved in the sacrifice, we will return.
0: Mm. Mm.
5: Now, the only way he could say that was to know by faith, ever since he was early, early on in life, well, if you can call 75 early, by now he's well over 100. Remember, he had the boy when he was 100. So he's got to be 110, 15 years old. And he's heard over and over and over and over from this son, the families of the earth will be blessed. From him will come a, a, a full nation, and we know that today is the Hebrew people. And, and, and God had promised him that, so he knew in his heart that regardless of the strangeness of this command, and God does sometime guide us in what we would call strange ways. William Cooper put it, "God moves in mysterious ways." his wonders to perform. None more mysterious than this moment. And Abram was willing to release the one who meant the most on earth to him because he loved another more than he loved that son. He loved his God. And he trusted his God to guide him Mm.
1: Mm. and to have his
5: way. But he didn't know how. That's the part of it. You see, I often say with tongue-in-cheek, Abram had never read Genesis 22.
1: Exactly.
5: (laughs) You know, we know the script. He had no script. All he saw was a mountain. And ringing in his ears were the words God had given him early, early that day. Take now your son, your only son.
1: Only son, yes.
5: And sacrifice him.
1: Mm. And he went
5: knowing that even if he died, God would raise him back, because God does not break his promises.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Isn't that a great that, thought?
1: Oh, it is. In fact, I was going to say that's probably one of the biggest messages of the book was not so much the trials that Abraham went through, not so much the transparency, the pimple warts, as you say in the book, but the fact that regardless of whether Adam faltered, regardless of the mistakes he might've made, God never stopped keeping his promises and he never stopped loving Abraham. So it isn't about the trials as much as it's by the overpowering love that God has for us, whatever our circumstances.
5: Yep, that's always true. And if we keep that perspective... We can handle whatever happens to us,
1: because our God is
5: greater than whatever may be happening.
1: Amen and amen. I love this book. You know that already, friends. So to the first five callers, I'm going to give you a copy of Abraham, One Nomad's Amazing Journey of Faith, one 548 3675 A fabulous study, not only of Father Abraham, but of our great and glorious God who loves us so very much. My heartfelt thanks to Chuck Swindoll and all the work that he does, both in the written word and when he's preaching it. And we praise God for the ministry of Insight for Living. My thanks to Chuck Swindoll and you, friends. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall, a production of Moody Radio in Chicago.